We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, September the 27th, 2021. Today's show, I break down this past weekend's game, guys. The Gamecocks fall to the Kentucky Wildcats by a final score of 16 to 10, guys. I'll give my full takeaways from Saturday's game. What went right? What went wrong? As the Gamecocks now sit 2-2 two and two and 0-2 oh in SEC play, guys. All that and more. Also, my biggest takeaway from the game, we'll hand out some TSUS game balls. We'll talk slap big of the weekend and also hand out our weekly cock of the walk award, guys. Also, news and notes to get into your listener questions. And we do have a fantastic conversation, a great interview, another one of our throwback interviews. This one two years ago with former Gamecocks receiver and one of the all-time great playmakers to ever wear the garnet in black. Ace Sanders joined me for a legendary conversation way back in the fall of 2019, guys. That again, I know you are sure to enjoy. Folks, we've got a lot to get into here on Monday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention that companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packing special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group, of course. If you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
is what I'm feeling on this Monday. Gamecock Nation, I'm right there with you. I'm not sure what hurts worse, the hangover due to the amount of cold beverages which were deleted at the Seawell's tailgate or the fact that this Gamecocks offense has become practically unwatchable through the first four weeks of the 2021 football season. By the way, I sit here right here with you in pain, and we are going to talk about it. We are going to break it all down. We are going to dissect it and try to just make sense of what happened over the weekend at Williams-Brice Stadium. And guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. First things first, happy Monday. Hope you're all doing well. I am Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show as always. Guys, again, appreciate you tuning in. And I hope this show finds you, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job. Maybe you have the day off. Maybe you're in class. Whatever it is, folks. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in. We got a lot to get into here on a Monday, a lot to discuss, a lot to dissect. As again, We all sit here with a little bit of a pit in our stomach and all that sick feeling because for for the seventh time in the last eight seasons, the Kentucky Wildcats have found a way to beat you to, again, drop the Gamecocks record in the 2021 football season to 2-2 and overall and 0-2 in the SEC. But again, folks, let's start with thank you all again so much for tuning in, guys. Thank you all so much to those who came out of the tailgate at Seawells, a huge success, by the way. I thought... Outside of the game, the weekend itself was a massive success with the Paul Feinbaum show on Friday, SEC Nation on Saturday, getting to meet and greet a ton of great Gamecocks, giving out merch, giving out swag, getting to talk and conversate with you on again, guys. I can't tell you how much it means to me when you guys take time out of your day to come up, show the love, you know, shaking hands and, and, and talking Gamecocks and you guys showing that love and support, man, it means the absolute world. But again, thank you all so much uh, for the continued support. Obviously, we're going to be rocking and rolling at the tailgate this weekend. Uh, the TSUS tailgate, we will return to Seawells, guys. Not 110% sure when we'll be out there just because the game is at 3.30. And uh, I'm not sure what time the gates at Seawells open. But again, I'd imagine my crew, we are going to be out there fairly early. Uh, for the 3.30 game. That is the game this Saturday against Troy. But again, that quick reminder, guys, TSUS tailgate at Seawells, spots 93 to 96 this weekend. And again, guys, those who came out of the tailgate this past weekend, thank you all so much. Um, it was so awesome, man. And again, that guys, that's one of my favorite parts, if not my favorite part of game day, is getting to talk with you all and conversate and uh, you know, meeting a bunch of great Gamecocks. And again, you guys showing the love and support. It's it's incredible, man. I, I was telling somebody else about this. I think it was on Saturday, actually, that, you know, I, I, it's, it's really cool when you guys DM and, and show love and show support in that way. And I love conversating with people through social media, but I'm still someone I believe in the power of a handshake. I believe looking someone directly in the eye in person and saying thank you and showing gratitude and showing loves. And, and again, so to have the ability to do that in person, you know, of course, we lost that last year to COVID, but ha- to have the ability to do that and, and meet you all, it really, truly is special. So again, thank you all so much, man. Uh, appreciate you guys. Appreciate the love. Appreciate you all tuning in, guys. We're back. We're about to actually hit a major, major milestone this week, by the way. So again, you guys will know that later in the week, but again, very excited to share that with you all. And again, honor and upward we go as this business, this thing, this podcast, this entity continues to grow. And again, without you guys loving support, TSUS wouldn't be what it is, wouldn't be what it's becoming. Um, so again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. I cannot say it enough. Okay, let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Uh, this is basically a therapy Monday, if you will. You know, I joke with people that the mic is my therapist. Well, today, 
that is how it feels. Um, and I'll start here too, because I, I woke up Sunday, obviously massively disappointed. Uh, with a massive headache, by the way, because of uh, the festivities that did take place on Saturday afternoon, especially at the Seawells tailgate lot. But, um, you know, of course, I picked Kentucky to win, right? I, I, I set proper expectations for the game in the sense of picking Kentucky actually to win this game by six points. Sure enough, what does Kentucky go do? They win the game by six points. But I can tell you guys this, it, it doesn't hurt any less. I'll put it that way. It does not hurt any less. Because as I told you guys in the preseason, and I really respected why there were so many fans that were calling this a must-win game, you know, even though I, I insisted throughout the week that it's not a must-win, this game has the same weight as a, a Tennessee, a Mizzou, an Auburn is a, a toss-up game, if you will, that'd be a nice to have. You don't have to have had you again losing this game in the preseason and still getting to a bowl game. But I think for Gamecock fans, what the biggest problem is right now is, again, it's not necessarily the fact that you even lost, but it is how you lost this football game. And I'll tell you guys this. When you look at the stat sheet, when you look at the statistics, if you would have told me in pregame that South Carolina would have gotten outrushed outrushed 230 yards to 58 yards for South Carolina. If you would have told me the Cats would have had 52, excuse me, 5.2 yards per carry versus South Carolina, who averaged 2.2 yards per carry. If you would have told me that Kentucky would win the time of possession battle, 35 minutes and 36 seconds to your 24 minutes and 24 seconds, I would have told you the Gamecocks lost by four touchdowns. So again, kudos to the Carolina defense for even giving this football team a chance to hang in the game. And really quickly, touching on the defense, you know what? The defense is better than I'm giving them credit for. They're better than I expected. Kudos. Cheers to Clayton White. Because I had my doubts about this defense still even going into this game. Hey, Jalen Foster has proven he's a legitimate ball hawk. Four interceptions in four games tied for the lead in the entire country for interceptions. Your defensive line, while I'd still like to see more from them, you know, the defense as a whole, very opportunistic, getting the ball off of people. And again, you hold an opponent to 16 points and what, 332 total offensive yards? You hold your opponent to that on your home field and you get three turnovers? Defense, you did your job. So kudos to you. Kudos to Clayton White's side of the football. But we could spend this entire show, and we, we probably should. We'll talk about it all week. But it is the way that you lost this football game and the way that your offense is downright pitiful and disgusting to watch. 216 yards of offense, guys. 216 total yards of offense. And I feel a lot like Shane Beamer right now, guys, because Shane Beamer was asked after the game, hey, coach, what's the problem offensively? And he said, I don't know. 
and then went on to explain, by the way, and go more in depth of we got to do this better, we got to do that better. But guys, I don't know. I don't understand what on God's green earth is going on. Now, I will say this, by the way, let's go ahead and address this, right? Let's address the elephant in the room because many of you are waking up here on this Monday saying, fire Marcus Satterfield, fire this guy. Hell, there's, there's people out there doubting Shane Beamer. We are four weeks into this thing and people throwing around the F word when it comes to Marcus Satterfield, Greg Adkins, and their job securities and their job statuses. Now, I want to make this point because obviously, guys, I would be a hypocrite to tell you all, hey, don't be critical of a coaching staff and college football coaches who are getting paid the way these guys are getting paid, making millions of dollars to coach a game. These men are not above criticism. And when you make the kind of money they make, you should hold them accountable. You absolutely should. Because I'll tell you this, guys, and I said it after the game, I have not sold my stock on Marcus Satterhood. I have not sold my stock, certainly, on Shane Beamer. I have not sold my stock on any of this coaching staff yet. Greg Atkins is very close for me, but I'm not ready to do so after just the fourth game in the Shane Beamer era. With that being said, how bad this Gamecocks rushing attack has been, whether it's on Satterfield, whether it's on Atkins, whether it's on the running backs, whether it's on specifically the offensive line, whether it's on Luke Doty, whoever. The fact that this Gamecocks rushing attack has been as bad as it has been after last year when you had the SEC's leading rusher on your football team. It is absolutely pitiful how bad this group has been. Guys, we thought we were going to lean on the offensive line. We thought we were going to lean on a prolific running game. And instead, you go out against Kentucky, a team that you ran all over last year, by the way. You go out against Kentucky and rush for 58 yards. 2.2 yards per carry, guys. 2.2. You have one rushing touchdown on the season. If I would have told you the Gamecocks had one rushing touchdown through four games, if I would have told you that in the preseason, you would have called me crazy. But that's where you sit right now. And again, I don't know which specific person or entity or thing the blame should be placed on. But as a collective right now, it's not good enough. And it doesn't make sense when you have all these same guys from a season ago who were very good, at least in run blocking. Pass pro obviously had its issues, but who were all outstanding in the run game. And all of a sudden, they've forgotten how to play football. All of a sudden, they've forgotten how to block for a running back. And again, guys, I said this all week last week. And of course, the last two times, we've been out a tin roof, right? I've had Mike Matulis and John Strickland on the show. And so talking to these guys, and, and I've had the ability and the, and the opportunity to talk with guys who played offensive line, it's not as simple as just line up and block the man across from you. It's not as simple as that. There are many intricacies and things that go into it. But it is so hard for me, 
for this fan base, for people to watch this team and try to put two and two together and compute just what has happened to this Gamecocks offensive line. What has happened to this run game? Guys, it's not even like, oh, well, the run game's just kind of slowly getting going and they're having some issues. They're dead. They're dead. They're done. They're done. And guys, I told you this last season, and I'll say it again here. Again, a lot of it goes back to how you lost, even more so than just the fact that you lost. You know, I picked the score to be 30 to 24, and you look at a team like what Lane Kiffin's done at Ole Miss. Are they a great football team? I mean, this year, of course, they've taken a step, but like last year, were they a great football team? Not necessarily, but damn it, they are fun to watch with offense, racking up five, six, 700-yard games. And so if you're not going to put a product on the field that is elite, if you're not going to put a consistent winner on the field, by God, you've at least got to be entertaining. And I think that is what makes Gamecock fans, or at least one of the things, that makes us so sick to our stomach. I mean, guys, 10 to nothing at the half. Shut out in the first half. Am I, again, am I, am I, do I think it is wise for people to be saying fire Satterfield right now after four games? Guys, these guys are not above criticism. Like I said, critique away. They deserve it after that performance. But the, the talk of firing anyone right now, and this is coming from a guy who, if I felt it, I would say it, guys. You already know that. Hey, I was the fire coach guy at one point. If I felt that way, I would just say it. Because I, I think fans have to give credit to and acknowledge, and it's just really tough for me to hold Marcus Satterfield to the fire when he's coaching a group that is not his roster. And guys, he's also coaching a group that let's just call it for what it is. Just isn't great. Just isn't great right now. That lacks playmakers. That lacks explosive, dynamic football players now I will say this on the play calling side of things that I love the way the game was called Saturday night. no I did not I, I definitely did not I want to see more of Luke Doty in the run game why are we not using his athleticism more but a lot of the problems and a lot of the issues I'm seeing guys is just guys not making plays I mean hey everybody wants to complain and bitch and moan about the you know going forward on fourth down why didn't you kick the field goal why didn't you kick the field goal and I hear you but how we all forget just a, a short year ago, we were all complaining and clamoring for a coach who was aggressive and wanted to go for it. And guys, you just got to make plays at some point. You go for it on fourth down and the ball hits you in the chest and you drop it. Guys, that's not on Satterfield. That's not on Beamer. All they can do is put the guys in position to be successful. That's all they can do. At the end of the day, it's the Jimmys and Joes that win ball games. Coaches lose them. Players win them. Players have to go make plays. And again, I've been telling you guys all season, but right now, it's a fight. It's an uphill battle. It's an uphill climb. And the only way to solve a lot of these problems, guys, is in recruiting. You got to go get big-time ball players. You don't have them. You don't have them. Now, you have some good individual football players across the board on this team. You got guys that are going to be playing on Sundays, especially on that defensive side. But 
to be totally shocked and floored at the result. And again, guys, that's why I operate the way I operate. A lot, a lot of what I've been saying this season has been for the sake of Shane Beamer and what he's building at the University of South Carolina. Because the last thing I want is for fans to set improper expectations. And I've seen a lot of comments, by the way, on social media. Oh, Kentucky sucks. Kentucky sucks. They're not worth a damn. We lost to a terrible team. Guys, they're 4-0. They're 4-0. Kentucky's solid. Are they great? Are they world beaters? No, they're not. But damn it, they're better than South Carolina right now. That, that is just the, the harsh reality, guys. I mean, really take a moment to appreciate what Shane Beamer and his staff are working with. This is a football team, guys, that its best win right now is a last-second field goal victory over the East Carolina Pirates. That's just reality. That's just where you are as a football team, guys. You are very close to being a one-in-three football team. And I just don't know what people expected in year one. And also, for those who are complaining about, you know, God, I mean, it's not many, but there's some that are questioning Shane Beamer. Is he in over his head? Is Marcus Satterberg, is he in over his head? Did we hire the wrong, the wrong guys? And I knew that was something that was going to be a reality. I knew, I knew some, that was something that was going to happen if you were to lose this football game. It's why it was one of your biggest games of the season. Not even necessarily, and I told somebody this Saturday at SEC Nation, you put a different logo on Kentucky's helmet, people are not looking at this as a must win. They're, they're not looking at this as, you know, oh my God, if you lose the program, it, it's going to be an indictment on which, which, you know, which way the program's going under Shane Beamer. But it's just the fact, again, Gamecock fans, we can stomach a lot of things. We cannot stomach losing to Kentucky. We cannot. But, guys, there's a reason I told you in the preseason, hey, wrap your arms around these guys. Lock in for the long haul. Because, guys, there are a lot of moving pieces on this football team right now. There are a lot of things. Guys, these are the growing pains in year one. Welcome to the growing pains. Here we are. Buckle up. Lock in. I mean, you got one of two choices here. You can either, I guess, complain all season long about Marcus Satterfield and, and call for his job, which, again, guys, can, do you really grasp and fathom what you're saying in regards to firing an offensive coordinator after one season? I mean, do, do, do you really compute how lunatic, how lunacy of a move that would be, right? How loony tunes of a move that would be. But, guys, you knew the risk you were taking on when you hired Shane Beamer. You knew what the risk was going to be when you hired Marcus Satterfield and Clayton White. Guys, these are men learning on the job. I mean, Marcus Satterfield and Clayton White had never called a play at the Power 5 level before two weeks ago, much less at the SEC level. Had never called a play. Shane Beamer has never been a head coach. And they're going to get better as they go. Guys, think about, think about the first time you did something. Think about when you started your job. If you're an athlete, think about the beginning, the early stages for you. Nobody starts as an expert. Like, you're going to have to lock in and let these guys get better. I'm not saying don't be pissed off. I'm not saying be happy with the result from Saturday night. I'm not. It sucks. Losing to Kentucky sucks. 
and it stings and it's just flat out painful at this point. It's painful. But I will continue to say what I said during the week last week. The season's not over. Hey, you have a huge three-game stretch upcoming. And the good news, I guess, is this. Your defense is proving week by week they're for real. They're legit. They're going to keep you in every single ballgame. You at least feel like that. Right now, I feel confident on this Monday saying, you know what? The defense has shut me up. They're better than I've been giving them credit for all season. Now, do I still think they're going to have times they struggle against the lead offenses? Yes. But this defense is good enough to keep you in football games. So that's a positive. That's a positive. But it all comes back to, and again, we, we're, we're talking Satterfield. We're talking offense. What's the issue? What's the issue? The issue is simple, guys, and it's not at quarterback, by the way. Those who are complaining about Luke Doty, again, there are people out there, I think, that just want to dislike Luke Doty. I, I saw nothing from Luke Doty that I looked at and said, God, he looks like he's in over his head. He doesn't know what he's doing. The, the, the stage is too bright. I thought Luke Doty played a solid football game for you. But it all comes back to that freaking offensive line and why I picked Kentucky in the first place to win the football game and exactly what I told you on Friday. I just simply cannot trust this offensive line to get it done. I can't trust them. And guess what? They didn't disappoint. They let us down again just like we thought they would. And I don't understand it, guys. I don't understand. I don't understand the problems. I don't know. Why you lost the football game? Very simple. For the seventh time in the last eight years, you got whipped. You got whipped at the point of attack. And you know what, guys? This is how I know it's really football season. Because I got some, I got some very nasty voicemails post game. Got a got a voicemail from a guy at like two a.m. saying I'm I'm a prick. Your show's the worst. Your platform sucks. You all you say is we suck. People can't handle the truth. At least some people. They just can't handle it. They can't handle hearing big bad Chris call it for what it is, which is you're just not a very good football team, bro. You're not. Why do Gamecock fans, some of them, why do they struggle so much with wrapping their little puny brains around that? You're just not very good. Remove Beamer from it. Remove Satterfield. Remove White. Top to bottom, and I don't care whose feelings these hurt, top to bottom, you have some nice individual players. The previous staff left some talent over. But top to bottom, you ain't got it. You ain't got SEC depth and SEC quality that you need to win a game like on Saturday. And you can kick and scream and disagree, and that's totally fine. But guess what? It won't change that fact, to be totally honest with you. I think people just really – I'm not saying don't care about the results. I'm not saying don't get upset when Connor loses. That's not what I'm saying because you know what? It means you care, and that's good. I – I'm upset, guys. I'm not happy with the result. I was in the building. Crowd, by the way, fantastic. Crowd more than did their part, which that's one of the most frustrating things is this, this Gamecocks fan base continues to show up, continues to invest, continues to be loud. And for what? For what? What's the return on investment? Hey, my good friend, Kirk Hollingsworth, you all know him, USC Superfan. Hey, I, all these big-time boosters, God, I really tip my cap to you guys. I mean, I really tip my cap. 
How on God's green earth have some of these Gamecock fans sat through decades of this misery? How? I mean, truly, Gamecock fans are the best fans in all of college football just for what they've dealt with. So I'm not saying don't be upset with the result or be happy with the result. I'm not saying make tons of excuses, but I do think fans just need to continue to keep in the back of their minds. Guys, this is a rebuild. And Shane Beamer is trying to change the culture from the inside out. And again, I I don't think people give enough credit to that, that he's trying to change that culture. It's not done. It is not an overnight process. This first season, there are going to be growing pains. There already have been growing pains. And unfortunately, guys, I think they're just getting started. As you sit here on a Monday, by the way, just a touchdown favorite over the Troy Trojans, which we'll get more more into in just a second. So the growing pains are not over for this team. Far from it. You were over under three and a half wins in the preseason for a reason. You have holes. You have deficiencies. With that being said, though, back to this game specifically on Saturday night, there's just flat out no excuse. There's no excuse for this running game. Just just none. Absolutely none. Again, I'm not ready to come after Marcus Satterfield yet, but something has to change. Something. We're not seeing enough aggressiveness offensively. I mean, it's run left, run right, swing pass, occasional throw downfield. Nothing real crazy. Now, again, how much of that comes back to just the personnel they have? Guys, they're not operating with Oklahoma's offense. They're not operating with 2019 LSU. You, You just don't have those guys. You have some nice individual players, but you just don't have those guys. I mean, hell, right now, to me, your best player looks like a true freshman, and that's Juju McDowell. I mean, he looks like your best football player. Most explosive, most dynamic. And it's a shame, really, that you throw away a great performance from your defense. Did all they could. Three turnovers, three takeaways, I should say. Just setting your offense up time and time and time and time again to take advantage and to deliver that that, that knockout blow, if you will, to Kentucky. And you just could never do it. You just could never do it. And it's a shame. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And it just all starts with the offensive line. It's, it's you know, I, I know fans want an answer, right? They want to blame something. What, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong with the offense? It's, it just simply starts up front. I, I don't know, guys. I, I don't know. But it is pathetic to watch. It's pitiful. It's pitiful to watch. No question. Not very fun football to partake in. Now, again, back to a positive. Credit to the guys for fighting to the very end. Other than that, though, it's like I told you guys after ECU, man. You're just a bit of a ragtag bunch, just trying to figure it out. Shane Beamer's trying to squeeze blood out of a rock. You're just not very good, guys. And that's no—that's really no knock on anybody on that roster. You're just doing the most with what you have. But unfortunately, the most you have, I mean, guys, you're very close to being one in three. Very close. Very, very close. And so we were talking about all last week, hey, this is a measuring stick game. This is a prove-it kind of game for South Carolina. Who are they, right? You lose by 27 
to the second-ranked Georgia Bulldogs, show a little bit of promise in the football game, and then it takes you a last second field goal to beat East Carolina. So it's like, who are they? Well, I can tell you this. The Gamecocks are a lot closer to that team who had a struggle to a three-point win over ECU than anything. That's just who you are right now. That is who you are. Now, this week, what can be fixed? Continue to build defensively. I mean, I think Jalen Foster obviously has exceeded all our expectations. The defense is a whole the defensive line. You can lean on them. Brad Johnson is playing the best football of his career. I was very impressed with the defense on Saturday night. Very impressed. But at some point, guys, players got to make plays. Players got to make plays on offense. They got to make plays. Offensive linemen have just got to execute. They just got to do their job. That's it. And so, no, I think the wrong take is Shane Beamer's in over his head. Marcus Satterhill, we should fire him. I mean, guys, fourth game. Fourth game. That's all I'm saying. Keep that in perspective. Fourth game of year one. I don't know what folks were expecting. Your season's not over, by the way. I tried to stress that all last week. Hey, we sit here on a Monday, we're sick to our stomachs. But you got a pivotal three-game stretch upcoming. Your season is far from over. And hey, guess what? If you can win these next three somehow, Troy, Tennessee, and Vandy, all three very winnable games, especially if you can figure it out on the offensive line. Guys, if this team figures it out up front, this is a six-win team. There, there are enough pieces here. You know, I say all that about the roster and the football team as a whole, but there's enough on this football team to get to six wins. I, I fully believe that. I fully believe that. Because everything right now is out of sorts because of the O-line. It, it's, it's hard for me to judge anybody or anything due to that offensive line. I mean, it just completely destroys everything with the entire offense. But getting to six wins is doable. Your season's not over. But I do understand, Gamecock fans. I'm here with you on a Monday. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts to face the reality that right now, Mark Stoops' Kentucky Wildcats are better than you are yet again. They're just better than you are. They're just better. They're just better. Now, like I said, it was a huge recruiting weekend, a ton of big prospects, and I think Gamecock fans did their part. I, I don't think that loss to Kentucky is going to necessarily hurt you in recruiting. You showed off your atmosphere. You showed off what makes you the best fans in all of college football. You did. You did. If anything, it's even more ammo to Shane Beamer to tell those guys, hey, we need you. We need you at South Carolina. The only way we're going to get back is to sign big-time football players. So we need you guys who are in the building. But, you know, I, I've said all that, and I'll be honest, guys, I sit here, it's, it's almost hard to find words because it is, it is so disappointing. You know, even though, and I want you guys to understand that, like, I make picks, right? I, I make picks for games. But just because I pick South Carolina to lose doesn't make it sting any less. It, it, it sucks just as much. It, it sucks just as much. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's the growing pains. We're, we're in the growing pains right now. Um, of year one, and it's not fun. It's not fun to endure. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. It, it, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to take a toll. We're going to have some bruises, some scars, but you've got to believe. Trust in Shane Beamer. Have faith in your football coach now that you're going to come out on the other side of it at some point, and you'll be better because of it. 
That's how you got to look at this thing. Guys, let's get to my biggest takeaway from the game on Saturday. And uh, like I told you guys, one of the most entertaining things about Saturday. Also, by the way, back to the offense and the play calling. I tweeted this uh, really like half joking, but kind of half serious too. And I said, I miss Mike Bobo. And of course, Gamecock Twitter just lost their collective minds when I posted that. Now, do I like Mike Bobo? Not necessarily. I don't have the disdain that probably some of you do. But I'll tell you this, I sure do miss him calling run plays for us because our running game, I mean, that, that's the question I would ask you guys. I mean, was Kevin Harris just that phenomenal last year? Was Sedarius Hutcherson really the piece holding that entire thing together? Or, guys, was Mike Bobo just that good of a play caller in regards to the run scheme? Something's got to give. There's a reason, some reason. You were so good running the football last year, and now you can't do jack shit this year. So, but there was that. Of course, social media never disappoints on game day. Um, tons of reactions, tons of people coming at me, displeased with things I was saying. And, of course, guys, the emotions just flying high. Right? They still are. They still are here on a Monday. But so I see all that, and I say all that to say this. My biggest takeaway from the weekend is that, uh, well, guys, the honeymoon phase, it's officially over. The honeymoon phase is over. And it's like I told you all in the preseason. It's, it's easy to be positive in June and July and early August. You know, nobody's dropped a pass. Nobody's thrown an interception. Nobody's fumbled the football. Nobody's missed an assignment. Nobody's missed a block. We haven't lost a game. And the real test of the 2021 season will be, how do you respond when you hit adversity? Because you knew inevitably you would hit it. At some point. Well, seeing fan reactions, seeing fan opinions, folks, the honeymoon phase is donezo. The honeymoon phase is over. And guess what? Not even Shane Beamer is immune from the criticism and from folks coming at him on social media. It is what it is. And again, you're more than entitled to that. You're, that's more than fair. He's the head football coach. He's paid millions of dollars. Go at him, right? Go at him. Go at him. But... I just don't know what you were expecting. It's year one of a, of, a, of a massive rebuild, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. Doesn't matter if you've got Lincoln Riley, Nick Saban, Lane Kiffin calling plays for this football team. If you ain't got playmakers, you ain't got guys that can go make plays for you, and if they just simply just don't make plays, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. And right now, you know, the offensive line is a, a major problem. Major problem. But also... I just don't know if you've got enough big-time playmaking guys on the outside or just guys in general. I mean, hey, we talked about Jaheim Bell last week. What happened? What has happened to the tight ends? I, I mean, what on God's green earth has happened to the Gamecocks tight ends? You had Nick Muse who had a catch for 25 yards. EJ Jenkins got his first catch, a catch for 13 yards. That's it. Your tight ends had two catches. Jaheim Bell with two targets, no catches. How is that possible? How is that possible? That you're not utilizing the tight ends any more than you are. I, you know, it's tough to stomach, guys. I, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't know that I have the answer. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still in my mind holding out hope a little that, hey, you know, these are the same guys from last year up front. 
Like at some point, whether it's against Troy, Tennessee, Vandy, like you would think we're going to return to form at some point. Like we're going to look like that team from last year that was running the football all over people. But, but right now, week after week, I mean, the, the offensive line's at efficiency, till proven otherwise. It's, it's a massive deficiency. And again, I, I don't know if that falls. Does that fall primarily on Marcus Satterfield? Does it fall primarily on Greg Atkins? Does it fall primarily on just the guys themselves up front that just are not getting the job done? Hard to say. But as a collective, as a collective, this week will be massive because if this, if this group, if that group specifically on that offense and in that run game, if that group cannot come together and figure it out and find some consistency, some semblance of a running game, if that cannot happen and does not happen, this team is destined for a 4-8 and eight season. This team will not win without a running game. I told you guys that for months during the preseason. This team will not win without a running game. It won't happen. Hell, you might not beat Troy if you can't find him. And we'll talk about that more later in the week. But you got to find it. You better find it fast. Because if you don't, hey, if you think the fan base is sick today, if you think people are freaking out today, go lose to Troy this weekend. All hell will break loose. Got to find it. Got to find it. Got to gotta find something up front in that running game. All right, guys, let's hand out some game balls. TSUS game balls. We'll start. It was tough to pick one offensively, but I do want to give a game ball for the second straight week to Gamecocks wide receiver Jalen Brooks. And the reason I'm giving Jalen Brooks a game ball, four catches for 63 yards, a touchdown, had the lone touchdown in the football game. And also I feel like, you know, maybe kind of finally someone is starting to establish themselves as that number two option on the outside. Of course, Josh Van didn't have a big night, three catches for 16 yards, but I think we're pretty confident that uh, he's going to be a consistent dude for you. Maybe, just maybe Jalen Brooks found a spark, found some confidence, um, found something in Athens last weekend. And, of course, of course, you know, against Kentucky, I thought he looked solid. So, again, Jalen Brooks gets a game ball um, defensively. Brad Johnson, have a night, Brad Johnson, by the way. Um, you look at his totals, 11 total tackles, half a tackle for loss, and one fumble recovery as well. I mean, Brad Johnson is just having an incredible, incredible season. Um, really the guy that we all hoped he'd be really coming into his own Brad Johnson, number 19, really, really good stuff. He gets a game ball. And then finally, our final game ball will go to Parker White. Gamecock, Parker White nailed the, what was it? 54 yarder, I believe. Uh, Parker's been rock solid all season long. What you expect from veteran kicker. So again, our game balls, Jalen Brooks, Brad Johnson, and Parker White. Let's get to the fun part of the show. The slap dick of the weekend. God, there were so, so many good options. When it came to slap dick of the weekend, the, and I, I think this was actually like a troll job, but I don't care. I, I'm still going to label it slap dick of the weekend. It has to go to, I mean, guys, we are four games into the Shane Beamer era. Four games. And this guy is not only the slap dick of the weekend, he might be the slap dick of the century. Truly. And it was a thread from one of the Gamecock message boards. And the title of the thread said, did we fire Muschamp too soon? And whoever posted it, by the way, the username, the member has a picture of Brad Scott as his profile picture. 
Did we fire Muschamp too soon, he asked. How many liquor drinks, how many cold ones did you consume before putting that up there? So again, my slap dick of the weekend, maybe the slap dick of the century, the did we fire Muschamp too soon guy? You, sir, the ultimate slap dick. Now, by the way, I do want to shout out, though, an honorable mention slap dick. All the fire Satterfield people on social media, like I said, these guys are not above criticism. Hold them accountable. They get paid millions to coach football. It's very fair to be critical. Very fair. But I, 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 just, I just don't get the calling for his job four weeks in. I, how can you do that? And it, it's just very hard for me to come in any of these coaches when it's not their roster. These are not their players. These are not their players, guys. And if you fire Satterfield, which it sounds even ridiculous to say, but if you fire him, what coach is going to want to come to a school where it's like, hey, you have a year to get it done. And if you don't, you're out. Right? These are human beings as well. They move their families. Right? They, they have lives. You cannot operate that way. Be upset. Voice that displeasure. But the whole fire Satterfield, fire this guy, fire that guy crowd. <sighs> Listen, guys, I was the fire coach guy for a bit. I, I'm out on that. I'm out on that. I don't, I don't want to be that guy again, at least not yet. I don't want to be that guy. So, as my good friend Mike Yuva says, if you're, if you're on the fire Satterfield train, mix in the water. For the love of God, do us all a favor. Uh, finally, guys, let's get into our weekly Cock of the Walk Award. The guy who stood out. On Saturday night, and I want to put some damn respect on his name. You know that I, I have been, I've been tough on the secondary. I have, you know, after losing J.C. Horn, Ezra McQuamu, you know, coming into this season, saying, I, and I've been saying it all preseason and saying it early in the season that it's, you know, one of the worst units in the SEC, and it's going to be a liability. It's going to be a deficiency. Hey, <clears throat> they have taken it upon themselves to shove it up my, you know, where um, they are playing above expectations. They are playing extremely well, a major surprise to us all. And the guy who's leading the charge, Jalen Foster, 12 tackles on the game, which led to Gamecocks and an interception. Again, guys, he's leading the SEC with four picks and is tied for the national lead in all of college football with four interceptions. So again, Jalen Foster, good on you, man. Keep balling, giving us Coast Simpson vibes early in this season. So again, our Cock of the Walk Award goes to Gamecock safety, Jalen Foster. But again, that's going to do it, guys, for the Kentucky breakdown and recap. And, uh, you know, of course, we'll be talking about it all week. It, it, it is it is, it is, is tough, honestly, to talk about, you know, even though, again, I, I picked Kentucky to win. It doesn't make it any easier. It does not make it any easier. And you better regroup fast is what I'll say. You better regroup fast because, uh, you know, don't let Kentucky beat you twice is the point I make. Do not let this Kentucky loss, don't let them beat you twice. Because if you do, if you think things are bad now, Buckle up. Hey, season's not over. I picked you to lose to Kentucky in the preseason and still make a bowl game. That wasn't a must win. Even though you might feel that way, it wasn't a must win. But these next three, these next three will determine the fate of your season. No doubt. Guys, on that note, on that note, like I told you, these next three are important. And one quick note before we get into our listener questions and voicemails. South Carolina, get this, that this line is very intriguing. So the Gamecocks play Troy this weekend, right? The Troy Trojans. 
at Willie B. Non-conference game. South Carolina opened as a nine-point favorite, which honestly, guys, for the way South Carolina's played, I think is fair. There were a lot of fans who disagreed with that line on social media. Well, hey, if you didn't like it then, you definitely ain't going to like what I'm about to tell you. That line, guys, now sits as of Sunday night. Gamecocks are just a seven-point favorite. A touchdown favorite at home against Troy, which tells you guys, hey, if South Carolina was at Troy, this game would be damn near a pick Isn't that some wild, wild shit? For lack of a better way of putting it. So, hey, I'll tell you this, and you can say it's silly, you can say it's dumb, <laughs> but after the NCAA simulations, yours truly ain't taking this game, <laughs> ain't taking this game against Controy. I, I say Controy. Not taking this game against Troy for granted. So, again, touchdown game, touchdown spread. Going to be interesting to see if that moves any more throughout the week. All right, guys, let's get into your listener questions, your voicemails. Um, of course, guys, after a game like that, the, vo- the voicemail uh, hotline was ringing off the hook. So, we'll go ahead and jump right into these. Here we go. Hey, yo, Chris, it's Evan from uh, South Carolina. I just want to say, man, tonight was uh, pitiful, pitiful at best. It was the first time I've seen our coaching staff, particularly our offensive coaching staff, called into question. You know, the um, the run game had its flashes. We had our flashes with Luke Doty, but at the end of the day, you can't win a game in the SEC without an offensive line. It's just not going to happen. And our offensive line sucked today. Really, both sides of the ball sucked today. You made Chris Rodriguez look like a, like a Heisman contender. Um, the first time we've seen Marcus Satterfield and uh, who was it? Coach Atkins on the offensive line called for his job. Uh, you know, every both, all sides of the ball look pitiful today offense defense the only thing that was a bright side really was our punting unit today on special teams uh, i think we just we got to clean our act up we got to keep faith it's year one they're in what year nine or ten with with stoops so this is the best they're going to be like you said and we're just building from here so we got to accept that these losses are going to happen and go cox Spurs up. Let's go. Appreciate it, Kevin. Yeah, year one growing pains. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I will say this. I don't think the defense was pitiful by any means, um, but I will tell you this. I was talking to somebody about this on Saturday morning, actually, at SEC Nation, and I, I made the point, you know, on social media, and I, I was very tough on the Gamecocks defensive line because I guess what irks me is, you know, fans, maybe not all of them, but fans want to call this defensive line elite, right? They want to call this D-line elite. And the, def- the defense got no help from your offense, guys. Again, you, you, you do what the Gamecocks defense did, holding the 16 points. You should win the game. Bottom line, it's 2021. If you can't score 21 or more points, you don't deserve to win. With that being said, though, you know, people throw around the phrase elite, elite, elite when it comes to the Gamecocks defensive line. A truly elite defensive line would not have given up 230 yards on the ground. That's my biggest thing. But – I don't want to beat up the defense too much. I, I was tough on them Saturday night, but guys, again, at the end of the day, like you mentioned, Kevin, if you don't have an offensive line, if you cannot win at the point of attack, 
you ain't going to win in this league. And right now, unfortunately, the Gamecocks have a problem at the one place they can't afford it. And that's up front, bottom line. What's up, Chris? Uh, this is Tyler from Greenville, South Carolina. Huge fan of the show. Uh, listen to you guys on the way to work and school. Um, something I was talking to my dad tonight about, and I uh, wanted to get your opinion on it. Um, I feel like the offense needs, needs to utilize the tight ends a lot more. I saw two plays, I think, tonight. One with Nick Muse and one with EJ Manuel, and both looked like outstanding plays that um, should have been used a lot more. And I don't know. I'm obviously not happy uh, with the result of the game tonight, but, you know, I still have high hopes for the rest of the season. Like you've said a million times, it is year one. Uh, this is a rebuilding year, and bowl eligibility, that's our goal. And spurs up, baby. No, good stuff. I appreciate the call, man. Yeah, like I said, the tight ends. Where have the tight ends been? Uh, I'm surprised it took us that long to get to a tight end question, if you will. But where have the tight ends been? I, I, I don't know. And – it doesn't make sense because you feel like like a guy like Jaheim Bell is one of the best athletes on your football team. How is he not touching the football? I, I don't get it. I don't understand. So I think a great point made there for sure. We'll see if they can make the adjustment this week and get the tight ends more involved in the game plan. Hey, Chris. So, yeah, this, this, this was a frustrating one. This was a tough one to swallow just because of the way it went. And it's really funny because you said the entire week, you know, look where Kentucky was. They were the more stable program. Nine years with Mark Stoops. This is Shane Beamer's fourth game. People shouldn't get so upset if, you know, we lose this game. I think people's expectations were misplaced because Kentucky had played so poorly against Chattanooga. It's just funny. You kept saying it, saying it, saying it. Then you read social media Saturday night. It's like it just went in one ear and out the other with some people. Like, people people need to take, take a step back from the ledge, pump the brakes, Nobody needs to be fired. Nobody needs to give up. Like, you know, the the offense just is just is what it is. And, and I think the thing that's gonna get lost in the shuffle is look at how well played the white defense has played. This defense is night and day. You know, they have some issues that, that, that they're not perfect ninety stretch. They force timely turnovers. They get stops. They kept this team in the game and gave chance after chance after chance. Put the ball, got got the fumbles in really good situation. The offense can't convert. So I question the play calling a little bit. I question the main thing with the play calling is you have a third and one early in the game. You run up the middle, you get stuck. You come up to the line, you go for it on fourth and one, which I'm okay with. You run it up the middle again, and you get stuck. That, that that shouldn't happen. The the fourth and five, people are going to question Shane Beamer. It was 13-7. That would have been what, like a 40-something yard field goal for Parker. You go for it. I'm okay with it. And People are going to get this confused because the play was there. If Jalen Brooks catches the pass, South Carolina has a first down. The play's there. And the same people that are getting upset because Beamer's going for all this and being so aggressive are the same ones that will must have for being too conservative. It's just the way it is. Like I said, do I question some of the play calling? Absolutely. Like, there's just, there's just some things that don't make a whole lot of sense. 
we still get in that thing where we throw the ball short of the sticks when there's like five or six yards to go. Uh, but at the same time, you got to think, this offensive line just still has its issues. There were still times you see guys just blocking the wrong person or not blocking at all. It can't happen. So that stuff needs to get figured out. But people need to pump the brakes on the, oh, this, this isn't working. We need to blow it up. Somebody needs to be fired. Somebody doesn't need to be fired because of all last night. There's stuff they got to work out. Now, look, these next three games are very key. Two of these games are very, very winnable with Troy and Bandy. Let's let's beat Troy next week. Let's go to Knoxville. I know Knoxville's been sort of a house of horrors for us, but let's go in there and try to win. When that game you're four and two, you beat Bandy, you're five and two, needing one more to be bowl eligible, just like you said. So let's let's get it done. Let's let's wrap this up. Let's beat Troy next week. Go come. Tim, always great stuff, man. I appreciate the voicemail again. You said a lot, but I agree with all the points you made. Um yeah, it all starts with this offensive line, man. Just has issues. I, I will take a disappointment you made. I don't know if people are even giving enough credit to this, but God, the night and day difference between the defense uh, this year and last year, man, it, it's incredible. And the job Clayton White has done with this defense, um, it's it's just it's it's remarkable when you really think about what South Carolina had last year, what they lost, and the fact of just how much better they are this season. I, I mean. I know we're only four games through this thing, but it, it is wild, the job that Clayton White has done. Um, no, listen, I, I agree with you. Again, fourth and five, people are going to question it. There's the same people that were questioning, you know, and saying Will Muschamp was conservative. I love the aggressive nature. Got to make a play. Guy has to make a play. Hey, I said it in the first quarter when you, when you went for it on fourth down and you couldn't get the conversion. Hey, if you don't get three feet, if you cannot get three feet, if you cannot get a yard, you don't deserve to win the ball game anyways. That set the tone for the entire game. It set the tone. So just simply execution. Just at, at some point, you just got to say, you got, we've got to execute better. You got to blame it on execution. Yes, there were some questionable calls, play calls, coaching decisions, whatever, but Kentucky's players were more physical and just executed more than we did. Bottom line. And that's why they won the football game. All right, one more voicemail, guys, and we'll knock out your questions and get to our, uh, our conversation with Ace Sanders. Here we go. Hey, Chris. Uh, have a night to kind of digest the game and think about it. Um, you know, ultimately disappointed that we couldn't get the job done. Um, but I think you know, you're seeing the growing pains of a first year head coach, but you're also seeing something else that you know that fourth down play that Jalen Brooks doesn't make, right? Maybe Landon Sampson makes that play. I think ultimately, in but I think you understand that this is a first-year head coach, four games in, don't hit the panic button. Recruits are coming. They're doing the job. They're getting the work done on the recruiting trail. Wouldn't it have been great to win the game? Yes, 100%. But all of those recruits, number one, saw an incredible atmosphere. And number two, they saw ample opportunity. There were opportunities all over that field for somebody to grab that game by the throat and win it. And ultimately, if you're recruiting the right guys, they're going to come in and say, you know what, I want to take that opportunity because I can make it happen. So I still am rocking with Shane Beamer. I think we still ultimately have an opportunity to get bowl eligible. And I think as the year progresses, this team gets better. And the team that you see in October and November is better than the one that you saw against Kentucky. Um, but that's just kind of my thoughts on the game, how it went, how everything was. And, um, you know, 
that's just how it is right now in year one. But I appreciate you, all the work you do. I think you do a great job of um, keeping it real, keeping it honest, um, and continue the good work. Spurs up. Hey, I appreciate the call. I appreciate the voicemail, my friend. Thank you so much for the kind words. But, uh, no, I, listen, I really rock and resonate with what you said. And the big thing is this. As long as recruiting continues to be uh, successful for you guys, you have no reason to hit the panic button. I mean, this is a thing. Shane Beamer's building the program. Now, if you see recruiting start to fall off and guys are decommitting left and right and, you know, you're losing momentum in recruiting, then you can start to really worry. But as long as recruiting is still a positive, and as long as recruiting is still something you can hang your hat on, <clears throat> that's really what matters. That's really what matters at the end of the day. Your number one goal, guys, like I told you in the preseason, the number one goal of Shane Beamer and his staff, get to next preseason with the same momentum and optimism and good vibes you had in this past preseason with recruiting and everything else. That's it. So, yeah, I, I, I think if you're a recruit, you see a fantastic atmosphere, you see a passionate fan base, and you see, like you mentioned, on the field, hey, I got a chance to come here and make plays. Like, they, they need help, they need me, and I want to be the guy who's going to help get the job done. Agree with you 110%. Guys, again, thank you all for the voicemails. Let's knock out your listener questions real quick. Um, T Buddy Four, what do you think is the main issue with the offense, O line, play calling, et cetera? Offensive line. Offensive line bottom. You, you can't block, you won't win. Simply put. Uh, Krusty Andy, why aren't we passing more? The run is ineffective, and Doty clearly can sling it. I, great question. I don't, again, I, I don't think we're built to throw the football 40 or 50 times. But you just got to block into the day. You, you've got to block and be able to establish the running game. You can't do that right now. And you're not going to win if you can't. If you can't do that. Bottom line. Um, I have the Geiger. What's Shane Shane's answer going to be for not kicking the field goal when it was thirteen to seven? Guys, again, I, I loved the decision personally. I loved it. I loved it. Air on the side of aggression. Air on the side of aggression. A, a guy's just got to make a play. He's just got to make a play. That's it. That's it. Go make a play. Uh, let's see. Spencer says we need we need a playmaker at receiver badly. Offense sucks. Doty isn't the problem. I tend to agree with you. I don't I don't think Doty's the problem at all. Just need more dudes, man. Need more dudes. Uh, e Bryant says is Zeb healthy and what has Doty ever done to prove he's better? Good lord, Bryant. <laughs> Good lord, come on, come on. Give the Zeb Nolan talk a rest, my friend. Let's see. EJ Nettles, I feel like we have too many playmakers on the sidelines in our tight end and running back groups. I wish uh, we say a little of a split back or wildcat look tonight, but oh, well, I'm no coach. I, I, I just want the best 11 out there and give you a chance to score points, and for whatever reason, it's, 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 it's just not happening. Brad Kelly, what's wrong with Ja'Kai Moore? The guy constantly, consistently blocks nobody at left tag. I, I, I don't know. The entire, the entire offensive line, just a, a major, major issue. Uh, Jay Painter, 71, still have a path to six and six, and we still have the same record as Clemson. You guys noticed I didn't talk about that, I talk about that, by the way, but uh, that was a nice, 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 it made Saturday maybe a little less painful, not much, but uh, wow, have they fallen off. That's going to be a fun one in November, that's for sure. Uh, Jay McClary, 28, Luke Doty did not look as mobile as we all thought. Was it the foot injury or just overrated? No, I think it's his foot. I, I don't think he's 110% yet. Uh, Emory Moore Jr. Coaching doesn't turn a two-win team into a contender in a one-off season. Y'all got to chill. Bingo. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, Bick Mitch, 48. Defense was lights out. Should have taken the three points, but love the aggressive play calling. Love the aggressive play calling, too. Hey, if it works and you get on the field and score a touchdown, you're a genius. Just got to make plays. 
Final question or statement. If you'll Creek 61, why are people still saying Zeb would be better? Help me understand, Chris. Uh, nobody with a brain is saying that Zeb Noland is better than Luke Doty. And that, that's just a fact. And that's just the bottom line. Anyways, all right. <laughs> um, appreciate y'all. Another seriously, appreciate the questions, appreciate the comments, guys. Appreciate you all always being interactive. Now, we have a fantastic conversation, a great interview. Don't go anywhere. One of the greatest of all time to ever wear the garnet and black guys. And again, in a very special throwback interview, was on the show back in the fall of 2019. Homer Gamecocks wide receiver Ace Sanders joined me, guys. Again, really, really good stuff. One of the all-time interviews for sure, guys. I mean, there haven't been many times that I've done interviews and sat there and kind of uh, felt like I was fanboying, if you will. But hearing A. Sanders, his descriptions of, you know, really some of the greatest moments in Gamecocks history, uh, really, really cool stuff. But again, guys, thank you all so much again for the continued love and support. We're going to break this thing down. We're going to talk about it all week long on the podcast, the Daily Crow. You guys in the drill. So buckle up. What a week we're in store for. Guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks wide receiver Ace Sanders. All right. Joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2010 to 2012. He amassed 18 total touchdowns, 13 of which are receiving three punt return touchdowns and two passing touchdowns. In 2010, he was named freshman All-SEC. He was also named SEC Special Teams Player of the Year in 2012, the first ever Gamecock to earn that honor. In 2012, he was also named All-SEC First Team Punt Return Specialist and Second Team All-Purpose by the coaches, Second Team All-SEC All-Purpose by the AP. He holds the school record for punt return yards in the season with 429 yards in 2012. He averaged 15.3 yards on 28 punt returns in 2012, which was first in the SEC and fourth nationally. He was also taken in the fourth round of the 2013 NFL Draft by the Jacksonville Jaguars and currently trains athletes in his home state of Florida. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks wide receiver and punt return specialist, Ace Sanders. Ace, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm not going to lie. It, it was a, that was a laundry list of accolades that you have, sir. So I, I certainly commend you. A lot, of, uh, a lot of awards. Your time at South Carolina is certainly worthwhile. But I want to go back to the beginning for you, Ace. Obviously, you're a guy from the state of Florida. Um, just kind of walk me through your recruitment to South Carolina. What was your recruitment like, and why did you eventually land on being a Gamecock? Uh, my recruitment was really – it was really hands-on. Um, I had Coach Mangus, Coach J. Mangus. He was there actually since my 10th grade year. He actually offered, offered me a scholarship my 10th grade year in high school, and he just stuck around. And that kind of stood out. You know, that was one of the things that my dad actually told me to pay attention to, you know, just, you know, uh, show interest in the school that really show interest in you. And they stayed around really the longest uh, outside the University of South Florida in uh, West Virginia. Uh, South Carolina stayed around the longest, and they just made the decision easy once I uh, actually took my official visit. For sure. So, Ace, I want to talk about – I want to ask you, do you believe that you were slept on as a prospect at all? Because I took a look at your recruiting profile because, you know, obviously it's, it's been a while since you were recruited. And, I mean, I was kind of a little shocked to see the offer list, the fact you were only a three-star guy. And, like I mentioned, when you take a look at all of the accolades you picked up during your college days and then being taken in the fourth round of the NFL draft, I mean, it seems like you were very <laughs> – underrated as a prospect I'm not sure if like height came into play for that but I mean did you feel like going into college and during the recruiting process maybe that people were sleeping on you a little bit uh I would say I would say uh I was more stepped on by maybe like the media we didn't get too much coverage 
uh, where I grew up at, uh, down in Manatee uh, County. We weren't getting too many, too much coverage from a lot of big name schools for some reason. It started to roll in slowly around the time that, uh, around the time that I was leaving. Like we get a lot, a lot of attention now, and it's a lot of guys that come out of this area now and get like the big name schools that you look for. But I can say, like I went to a lot of football camps, uh, like Dog Night at Georgia, Friday Night Lights at the University of Florida, and everywhere I went. I turned head, so it was just uh, the people who got to see me, who got a chance to actually see me and witness me in person, they knew. So those were probably some of the more bigger offers that you actually saw. It was just hard for us to get, like, media coverage as much as these kids get to be. For sure. So you talked about a little bit already your relationships with G.A. Mangus and Steve Spurry and kind of the recruiting process, but what was it about South Carolina that you would say sold you on it? Because again, you were coming in at a very interesting time. Obviously, Steve Spurrier was really starting to get the thing rolling. I mean, your first year, you guys go to Atlanta, win the SEC East. What was it that those guys sold to you that this that was the reason you chose South Carolina? What would you say it was for you? Well, I said they didn't really sell me anything, but the truth, you know, just to be able to come in and be able to compete. Um, really what what sold me, like I said, was my official visit. It was just the people. It was just really like the people out in Columbia. It was just, uh, it felt like home. And it was just a real easy transition for me to make uh, coming from where I come from. And uh, just was just always one of my favorite places to go to. So it was really just that. Uh, football was always just football to me. And um, shoot, the roster was pretty thin at the position that I was, you know, going to play. So that just made it easier for me to believe that being able to come in, come in and compete. and. Uh, play as a freshman so they held up to their end and that's just how it turned out for me for sure so something I didn't know about you Ace your full name is actually Tracy LaVon Sanders nicknamed Ace talk about the nickname Ace where'd that come from uh my dad my dad I'm a junior so I'm actually named after uh, my dad so uh I was just his firstborn son so that's where the Ace came from just a firstborn son gave me that name as soon as I was born and it just stuck Got you. So you obviously get on campus, Ace. You're playing for one of the most legendary Hall of Fame coaches and head coach Steve Spurrier. And obviously you being a, really a Swiss Army knife guy that could just do it all over the field. I, I, it's funny. I was taking a look back at your stats and was like, man, I, I don't remember him passing for that many yards. But uh, you could really <laughs> do it all. So I know Steve Spurrier absolutely loved you and using you in his offense. But talk about sort of your first interactions for Steve Spurrier and what that experience playing for him was like for you. Uh, my first interaction with him was, you know, I had, I it was actually pretty interesting because I had been around a, a bunch of other uh, head coaches who kind of, you know, carried themselves a certain type of way. When you got around Coach Spray, you kind of expected to be, you know, around this person with this big type of like, you know, like traditional ego, like so to speak. But it's like he's just down to earth, man. He speaks his mind, so it's, it it just made, like I said, it made stuff a lot easier because they're a lot, they were really transparent. So I could already see what kind of people I was dealing with before I even stopped on the helmet, you know. So mm-hmm. just dealing with him for the first time just felt like I had already knew him. No doubt. So 2010, you guys start the season Thursday night against Southern Miss. Ace, you had a big play in that one—a 53-yard rush, your very first collegiate game, which I feel like was almost a an introduction to you as being a big play, explosive type guy on a, uh, I believe it was a trick play where Kenny Miles tosses the ball to you, go around the end game, 53 yards on that. But just talk about playing in your first collegiate game, getting that big explosive play. And I guess you sort of kind of coming on the scene, if you will, Gamecock fans, obviously we're just learning about you being a true freshman, but just talk about 
being able to play in that first collegiate game and what the uh, the rush of emotions was like for you after you got that big game? Uh, just kind of took all the jitters away, to say the least. Um, like I said, that was my first time touching the ball uh, at the collegiate level. So for it to open up like that was just beautiful for me. I was actually thankful for the opportunity, honestly, just to be able to put, you know, some type of skills on display that, like you said, will ultimately, you know, kind of, let people see, you know, what I can do and what I'm capable of. So that first time I got it, it was just, I don't know, I just held my breath, saw the hole, and just hit it. I was just running, just ran, just ran, just kept running. I heard the crowd getting louder and louder. So all I could do is just keep running, just keep running. <laughs> That's all that was going through my head was run. Now, I know, Ace, I was actually taking a look at your background. You were a track guy in high school, obviously. Very, very fast. Speed was the name of the game for you. But – what would you say – what what made you so good at having the knack for the big play? I mean, because you're talking about kind of having that vision and, you know, just just run. I mean, really, is as simple as that. But, I mean, why do you think you were so good at basically having the knack for the big play? Uh, I would say basically just – that would be just like as a kid growing up, just always watching the people who did that, you know, wanting to be like those people. So anytime you go outside and you're, you're playing, I'm, I'm practicing at the time that we outside having fun. It's like, I got to be a guy to make the big play. I just always envisioned it, like I said, or how a Peter Ward do it, you know, those type of guys who go out there and, you know, it's a lot of, it's, it's dazzled to their game, but it's, it, it's, it's still within the game. You know, they're not doing too much, but they do enough to make the crowd ooh and ah, but it's still within the game. So I always wanted to be that guy just ever since a kid, just kind of just practice that. No doubt. So that 2010 season, obviously, Ace, not just for you, but the entire team was very special. South Carolina wins the SEC East, makes its first ever trip to Atlanta. Um, just talk about for you, again, coming in as a freshman, just talk about how special that was to do something at South Carolina that uh, that had truly never been done before. Uh, man, that was, that was actually, that was really incredible. And I got to say, like, I, you wouldn't really pay attention to it until like the next year was coming like to the next year, uh, going into the, 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 to the following season. And you like really felt how big of an impact it was. And when we came into that next year, we just, you know, we were, we were known then, you know, we kind of got some swag back to the team and everybody's looking for us to do, you know, more big things and keep going and moving forward. So just to be a part of it, like a group of guys who were who are kind of responsible for bringing that back to the school and carrying it on for the years uh, to come. It was just, it was amazing. No doubt. You talked about that next season. You actually a start 2011 off with a bang. Uh, really, I think, kind of uh, introduced yourself to the college ball world as an elite punt returner with a touchdown against East Carolina in a game that was very, very back and forth. Kind of, I think, I remember you guys were in a big hole and your punt return was part of that sparking that comeback. But, uh, Talk about that play specifically. What did you see there, and uh, what led you to score the uh, score the long touchdown to open up 2011? Uh, I just remember that game being just like begging to go back to return punch that game because uh, I wasn't starting returning. It was just Stephon was doing so much stuff. He was just tired, so I got a chance to go back. So <laughs> and I told the coach, I just remember telling him, like, I'm out of score. I'm scoring. <laughs> you know, I just thought, I was like, I'll score. If I'm scoring, you got to put me back there. No more, coach. And uh, when they kicked the ball, he gave me a low one. It was low. So I knew I had a lot of time to kind of just see the field. And um, I saw a lane. I saw a lane. So I took it and I ran. And it's kind of, it's just weird. It's just, 
just look like stuff is just opening up. I mean, of course, like my uh, special teams, like everybody, they made their block. I didn't see everybody finished in the end zone with me. So uh, that made it a lot easier. I don't know if they were just getting excited because I was making guys miss, but they sold out just as much as I sold out. So all I remember is just us crossing the end zone as a team and celebrating in the end zone. It's hard. It's crazy for me to think, Ace, that a guy like you, as great as you were returning punts, I mean, again, in 2012, I talked about SEC Special Teams Player of the Year, something that no other Gamecock has ever done. The fact you would have to be begging Steve Spurrier to get back there and return a punt is sort of a – you can look back and really laugh on that now because, again, I mean, it's – to think how good you were at doing it, the fact that you had to really lobby your way to get in that position is sort of of ironic, I think. Oh, yeah, we had to – and it's just solely because we had some guys that were just talented with the ball as well in front of me uh, at the time that had already been there. So it's, it's almost like you sit back as, you know, a freshman, sophomore, wait your turn, wait your turn, wait your turn, which, you know, that's just the name of the game. Uh, and when you finally get the opportunity, you kind of just cease it. And that's just what I did. <laughs> just had to make sure I, when I finally got it, I backed up what I said. You had to score on that first one. Make sure you, you, you I had uh, to score on that first prove yourself right. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you got another chance at it for sure. So I, I want to talk about because as, as elite as elite of a uh, punt returner as you were, Ace, you were a really, really good receiver in your own right as well. Um, jumping to 2012, though, you know, your first two seasons, definitely a solid slot option for the Gamecocks. You had four total receiving touchdowns in the first two years. But I honestly had forgotten in 2012 just how many – pure receiving touchdowns you had you had nine in 2012 I mean what would you what would you attribute to that because I know right now like I talked about earlier you're doing the training with guys with footwork with all kinds of different drills and stuff like that down in Florida right now but I mean your development in college I mean what would you attribute the numbers blowing up the way they did in 2012 catching the football uh I would say just knowing that the opportunities would be there uh honestly that's just for us and a lot of guys as you can Recall, like over the years, we went from a bigger group of you know six, three, six, four guys like across the board, and as we got down to 2012, you end with like me, Nick Jones, Bruce Ellington, Demir Bird, and stuff. You know, five, nine guys out there. So it was just kind of fun to be out there, kind of you know, with everybody your size. It gives defenses a, a totally different look. People have to play a totally different way when you're dealing with guys who can run vertical. They gave us a chance to run vertical vertical routes and it just opened up so much more underneath because we were playing with pure speed out there and it was I just attributed to the opportunity presenting itself honestly we worked hard every year in the offseason so it was just finally the opportunity presenting itself. I know you're probably biased to this question Ace but just kind of looking at football in general not just South Carolina but you talked about teams that have different style of receivers, whether you're comparing like the Alshon type, the big bodied six three, six four guy who can go and get the football, or the type like you or the type like Bruce, who's the speed demon who's gonna burn you, who can make you miss. Do you think there's an advantage to one type of receiver or the other that an office centers a game around, or do you need a nice mix, or what are your opinions on that? Uh I would say like it's so much that goes into that. Uh of course your quarterback has to be in that room as well, just depending on really what he's he's like. At the end of the day, quarterback is delivering the ball, so whichever one he's used to, I would say. I know it's pros to having big guys because it's just it's a hazard for a, a small defensive back. Even if you have the coverage, it's just a big body is just hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you get a guy you don't want to chase around the field twenty four seven. I would say yeah, having a balanced mix of them 
is 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 pretty standard to me just to have a balanced mix of both guys that they both can do something that the other guy can't. But either way you go, I think it's all like preference. It's all preference. For sure. So I want to dive into one of the uh, one of the many big plays you had in 2012, Ace, and that is the punt return against Missouri, um, a play that I know Gamecock fans still go back and watch and wonder how in the world did he not get tackled on that play. But uh, a crazy play. I remember you field the punt. You run into your own man, Demario Jeffrey, I believe it was. You you kind of shove him out of the way. You break like it feels like five, six tackles. A Missouri defender tries to strip the ball. He can't do it. You just keep going. And you, uh, I think they stopped you right at the one-yard line, which I know probably pissed you off. So talk about that play. I mean, what you remember from that? And uh, also, how mad were you that you were, were just about a yard short of the end zone there? Oh, man, that play was crazy. One thing I do remember is that every move I made, I've seen everybody. And that was the, the weird thing. I felt like everything was kind of moving slow at the time until you watch it in real speed. And I was just – I just remember watching the replays after it was all over. Like, oh. Oh wow! But I remember every single guy that that I uh, came into contact. I knew exactly who I ran into. I knew it was Demario. I seen him clear. Like it was as fast as everything was moving. I remember everything during that play. I remember when the guy was approaching me to strip me. Uh, I covered up well before he even got there because I seen him the entire time. I don't know why something told me that he's about to try to strip the ball. <laughs> so I just tucked it. He went over top and then. Even as he was grabbing me, I saw – I don't know if that guy was a center or if he was a, like an H-back in the punt scheme. But I seen him taking a dive right at my legs, and that was the stop. And he dove out in front of me, and it was just – I would say getting tackled at the five. I didn't even know I was out of bounds. That one. I just dove. I just remember being out of gas by the time that dude even – I tried to dive for the end zone. So I was really just hoping to get up and see the, dude, see the ref with his hands up. But – uh Man, I, <laughs> that was just a crazy play, man. It was just crazy play. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the crazier punt returns, I mean, you will ever see. So, Ace, I don't think it's surprising the next one I'm about to ask you about. I'm sure you, uh, you've you been asked about this one more times than you can recall, and that's the 2012 Georgia game. Some, you know, people have referenced your punt return as the loudest that williams Bryce has ever gotten, uh, the loudest they can ever recall it. Obviously, a huge play. South Carolina's up 14 nothing. You, it's because it's a crazy play in its own right because you muff the punt at first, pick it up, take off, beat everybody to the corner and score the touchdown. And Williams Bryce, everybody just loses their minds. But uh, talk about that play again. What did you see? What do you remember from that play? And then also just that game and that day. I mean, what do you remember from that game, the aftermath of that play again, the crowd, just, just really everything to do with that 2012 Georgia game where you guys took the dogs of the woodshed? Man, it was really it was really the defense. The defense had I mean all week the defense was just they were just on another level, you know. And and they like I said, they came and they played lights out that game as well. And we really just was feeding off the defense, DJ Clowney and all those guys. We were just feeding off the defense. And I remember Shaq Shaq Wilson coming up to me, um that same drive, that drive was about to begin. It was, and um, he came up to me, he was just like, about to get a three and out right now. <laughs> he was like, and when they kick it to you, I just want to meet you in the end zone. He was just like, I just want to just run it back. I just want you to start. Like, I told him, the guy was like, okay. And and that's what that was. We went out, he got the three and out. So it was kind of like this plan. I mean, like, and they pinned him deep. And I was like, oh, okay. He really got a three and out, like inside, like inside the 25. He got a punt. This is field. This is return area. I'm like, okay. So 
I was like, well, he held up to his end of the deal. And I just remember being, like, overly excited before the punt was even kicked. So when I muffed it, it's like all the adrenaline in me was lost at one point in time. And I was like, oh, you know, it's a muff punt. And you're like, oh, this is bad. I just remember, like, just, like, the urgency. Like, you got to pick it up. So I just picked it up as fast as I could. When I looked up, for some reason, the first guy that was that was uh, down to tackle me, he stopped his feet for some reason. And once he did that, I was like, oh, he just gave me some time to make a move. <laughs> so I made a move on him. He missed. And I just got vertical as fast as I could because, you know, there's just a rule of the pump turn. Give me the first 10. Give me the first 10, 10 yards and the rest is yours. So I just remember just getting vertical because I had already muffed the punt. So I was just like, oh, I just don't want to make a bad situation, you know, worse. So I get the first 10. Get the first 10 in the middle of the field kind of opens up. So now I'm like, okay, keep going. <laughs> So now I get to, uh, it was like maybe like, like you said, it was like one or two guys. And I would just remember making like the same cut, one to the left and then one, oh, actually one to, yeah, uh, one to the right and then one to the left. And then the sideline just opened up and I got like a good block. And I just remember running to the student section. That's what I do remember. I remember running to the student section and just seeing all the white towels and everybody going crazy and stuff. And I remember getting in the end zone. And I remember the first person to come and tackle me. I don't even know where he came from with Marcus. Out of nowhere, he comes and tackles me. Like, he tackles me, and we're just in the end zone, and I'm thinking we're about to get flagged because everybody's celebrating, the crowd's going crazy. And then, you know, that was just – that was that part as well. That was, like, one of my favorite moments, like, being at South Carolina because you did feel the crowd. You felt it on the field. You felt the stadium rumbling. And, like, that was just the one that kind of, like, took the life out of him. Georgia didn't even want to play anymore after that. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, the Todd Gurley quote after 2014, but he was in that 12 game, was that he never wanted to hear Sandstorm again. Uh, because uh, yeah. I, think he, I think he said, once you give South Carolina fans something to cheer about, they just won't shut up. And that was certainly nope. – uh, that, that was certainly the case that night. And, again, I mean, just the pandemonium and that weekend from college game day to you guys doing what you do on the field. I mean, I mean, have you ever played in a game that – was as much fun as that one because I have to imagine that was just that, that that was just pure fun for you guys going out there and doing what you did. Uh, let me see. Uh, no, nah, that probably that Georgia game was it was different, but I would say, oh man, maybe oh beating Clemson at Clemson that that uh my senior year. I mean my junior uh, my last game playing Clemson my junior year. And that that game was fun as well. It was a battle, but it was fun. It was a very fun game because there was just a lot of emotions going on out there as well. But between that Clemson game and that Georgia game, definitely the two funnest games I played in. And a perfect segue, because I want to talk about that Clemson game, Ace. I, again, it's funny looking back. I forgot just how big of a game you had. I remember the touchdown, obviously, you had. But that game at Clemson in 2012, you had 119 receiving yards and a touchdown. And during your time at Carolina, you went 3-0 and against those guys. You were part of the five-game winning streak. You won the second, third, and fourth of that streak while you were there. Yeah. Um, you know, talk. we'll talk about that game specifically first. Um, I, the thing that's, you know, it's crazy to think that 2012 game. You guys beat Clemson with a backup quarterback and a backup running back and Dylan Thompson and Kenny Miles. I, I mean, yep. just talk about that night. Your play specifically, obviously, with the touchdown where – it's kind of crazy. You catch the football, and there's two guys there, and it looks like one of them's got you wrapped up. And like a Madden play or something, you hit the truck stick, the guys just fall right off, and you go in the end zone. I mean, just 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 talk about that night. That that whole night was just, like I said, that was just 
you know how to get. I remember pulling up to the stadium and we seeing like the fans holding all kind of crazy signs. Uh, man, it was just like a real hostile environment. So it was just we were just so anxious to get on the field and play. And I remember before the game, uh, you know, special team guys were going warm up. And I remember telling the punter, and it's the only play, this is one play in that game that just sits with me, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I told the punter, I was just like, the first punt that you punt to me, I'm I'm running right past you. <laughs> and he just looked, and he was like, I'm going to kick it straight to you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, again, <he's> like, <laughs> so the first punt, or actually it might have been the second one, because I think the first punt that we had, we uh, they were in a in a uh, like a red zone, like a going in situation, so it wasn't a, t- a return available. So they kicked me one and kicked me, kicked it straight to me. Promised me he kicked it straight to me. He did just that. He kicked it straight to me. Then I remember splitting it right away. Boom! I hit a seam, and I saw him. I hit a seam, and I know he looked because that's the first person I looked for. Once I hit one seam, I looked straight for the punter. That just let me know it's fastest way to point A to B, straight line. He's right in front of me. So I remember seeing him, and it was one guy to beat. It was, I think it was like maybe like a 25-yard return. And it was one guy to beat right in the middle of the field, like right on the uh, right on the paint, right on the big pause, right at the 50. And I go to make a cut, and I see the cut. I'm like, it, uh, it's about to work because I see him. He's about to overrun it. And I just remember feeling all the paint slip from up under my cleat, and I just fell like slipping, and I just – got up and I looked at the punter and he looked at me and for the rest of the game they kicked the ball out of bounds and I was like oh I was like you ain't gonna give me another shot one more shot he kicked the ball out of bounds the rest of the game they wouldn't kick me the ball again so that was that play from that game that kind of just sits with me but uh the rest of that game like I said, Dylan came in. Dylan was ready to play. Dylan was ready to play that entire week. Uh, shoot, Connor was ready to play that entire week. Connor, to be honest, but they had to make a decision to, you know, sit Connor down. So Connor was a gamer, man. But we had all the faith in Dylan. We knew what Dylan can do, and Dylan went out there and he proved himself. Along with Ken, along with Mike Davis, he got a couple of uh, reps that game too. But we knew as receivers between me, Bruce, Nick Bird, KJ Brent, whoever else was out there with us, we knew. Like that was gonna be our game, because if you look across the board, every receiver pretty pretty much put up some good numbers that game. We threw the ball that game. We won on the outsides. Uh, we blocked on the outsides. We freed up. We I would say like that game, the receivers we had like a complete game, and it took a complete game to beat them, along with our defense just playing lights out. But, that that punter again. story, yeah. That I was gonna say that punter story is probably one of the funnier things I've heard because I, I know that's something <laughs> I don't think anybody oh, has heard yeah, about. You, you guys, you, I was gonna say you guys were super. It, it's obvious you guys were super confident coming to that night because I wanted to ask you, uh, Ace, about. I don't know if you've seen the video, but there's a video floating around out there, and I, I don't even know how it got out. But in pregame, um, again, you said you were jawing with the punter. I don't know if you can recall or kind of give some more context to this, but there's a video of DJ Swearinger running out for warm-ups. And I guess the quarterbacks are throwing each other warming up and they're throwing at different guys. And DJ Swearinger runs over to the drill and, like, picks him off and, like, throws the ball away and is just jawing with the guys. Because, you know, I mean, DJ was crazy, right? I mean, he's, he's a maniac out there, which <laughs> made it great. 
do, do you recall – I mean, were you around when that happened? Do you recall that at all? Because it's – I mean, it's one of the great clips. I mean, it is an awesome clip. And if you haven't seen it, I'll definitely show it to you. But, I mean, was there a lot of pregame jawing going on? Because it obviously seems like you guys were very confident playing against those guys. Uh, we were they we were amped to play against Michigan. That was just we got a chance to to play against a team from another conference that had a lot of tradition as well. And uh, yeah, no, I was there. I was definitely right there when DJ when that happened with DJ. But the whole context of that was well, it was like pregame, and basically special teams go out and they warm up, and Michigan basically had the entire field. So when we came out, it was like kind of no room for us to stretch or, I mean, uh, kind of get loose and warm up. So that was DJ's way of telling them, you know, get the hell out of our spot. Like, you go to the other side of the field. We on this end, y'all can take that in. They wouldn't move. So that's with DJ's, you know, way of, okay, I'm done talking. We snap this ball, I catch it, I take it, I punt it down to the other end. And then that's kind of what started the join, started with the join, and then all the strength coaches and stuff, they had to come and kind of separate us, kind of separate us uh, in that sense. But that, that happened. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that definitely happened, that game. And that was it was bigger <laughs> than that video actually made it look because it, we actually it – was, it was a good amount of people, good amount of people out there. But uh, that's all it was. It was just we wanted them to move and go down to that end of the field. But they wanted to warm up using the whole field. I don't know if that's what they were used to, but that's not what we were used to. So we had to get some straightening. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to ask you because obviously I saw the Twitter exchange you had with uh, Seth Strickland and Andrew Clifford and you guys kind of reliving the story. And I'm like, man, we, we've got to get some more context to this because it's uh, – and it's funny, for whatever reason, Michigan seems to rub a lot of people the wrong way. I know they had a couple of years ago the Michigan State, they're stomping on the logo. Even when South Carolina played them in the Outback Bowl uh, two years ago, there was jawing at the bowling alley. You thought people were going to get in a fight. So, that, I mean, that is just – that is classic. Yeah. It, it, it feels so on brand for a guy like DJ Swearinger to kind of get things going like that. Yeah, I felt like uh, it was kind of like – I felt like after a while it was kind of like mind tricks. I feel like after a while, yeah, that's what Michigan does, little mind tricks, little mind tricks. But they didn't know who they were dealing with as far as, like, goes with DJ. Like, he's all for that. That's his favorite thing to do. So, how at much the end of the day, I think that plan kind of backfired on him. No doubt. How much better did it make you guys as receivers going up against guys like DJ and Gilmore and Antonio Allen and – these other guys in practice? Because, I mean, again, you see what DJ Swearinger's doing in the league right now. You see what a guy like Melvin Ingram even is doing in the league right now, Jadavion Clowney. But, I mean, it, it had to make you guys really sharp as receivers when you're taking on a guy like a DJ Swearinger or Gilmore, any of those other guys. I never felt like I would have to play against a, a better defense anytime I stepped down the field and came to me. Anytime I never, like, I, I played in practice against the best defense in my opinion, those years in the country at the time. And it's like anytime we stepped on the field, I didn't I never felt like well these guys are better than the guys that we have. And it's, it just made it so much easier, so much easier, you know, to get out there and just go and play with all the confidence that we play with in the world, like I said. Smaller guys still out there playing big. That's where the confidence comes from. It comes from battling every day in practice with these guys who don't let up. You know, they play every practice like it's a game. You got guys out there like like DJ who takes everything serious, everything, every play. Then you get the defense who feeds off it. 
And not only are they talented, now they're relentless and they're talented. Now they're studying the game plans more more and more and more. It got to the point where they knew our formations, they knew our sets, so it made practice even harder, harder to succeed. And that was us. We had to respond to it. Even as being as young of a group we was, we had to figure out how to adapt and and that just made that, that that just helped so much. It helped a lot. So Ace, you talked, you know, we already touched on a little bit of what happened in the pregame against Michigan in that Outback Bowl win, but let's talk about the actual game because you went off that day. I mean, you were feeling it. You had a punt return for a touchdown. You had two receiving touchdowns in that one in a game that w- was absolutely crazy. You know, Dylan Thompson hits Bruce for the w- game-winning score. I mean, just a wild college football game. But like I said, you absolutely went off that day. I mean, what was working for you? Because, I mean, like I said, you jumped off the stat sheet. <laughs> I was – I don't know. Maybe it was just I, – I felt really good that day. Once I got off the bus, like, I don't know. I felt like – this is going to be a good day. And, you know, normally as a player, you you don't – I say, like, for myself, you don't normally get those feelings. You get – you walk into that stadium and you're confident, you know, that you're going to play good, you're going to play well. But it's it's not often when you get off the field and just get on off the bus and you're just like, yeah, this will be the day. Like, this, <laughs> this is the day where I go off. Like, this is the day. Like, it was really clear to me. So, like I said, it was one of another games where it's kind of, like, open. Once we had, like, that whole exchange before the game, I told that punter the same thing. Like, as soon as you kick it to me, I'll be running past you as well. That was just kind of, like, my thing. So, um, it was a lot of jawing, like you said. That kind of got everything going. Uh, shoot. It was just a different – it was just the vibe of that game was so much different. It was maybe that entire practice week being home practicing. I was closer to home, and uh, I was able to visit with some of my hometown friends, introduce them to some of my friends from school and kind of, you know, kind of connect the two worlds. It was just a lot more for me uh, just being back home in Tampa. And that game, man, that game was – it was it was a battle. It was a battle, I could say at least that's – that actually does go up there with that Georgia game and that Clemson game. That Michigan game definitely goes up there. That may actually be the number one game that I ever played in just due to just, like you said, the theatrics of it, how everything kind of ended, how it played out. Because uh, after that last touchdown that I did catch, uh, that was actually – and that was my, that was another one of my arguments because I think I've seen a tweet that uh, – had DJ tagged in it, and it was his three-play sequence from Arkansas, from the Arkansas game, from the hit. He had uh, two personal fouls, and then he had a uh, pick six. And it was like, that might have been the best three-play sequence in college football. And I told him, I was like, well, you know, I, I, I like that three-play sequence, but I think the Michigan sequence is actually better because the very next play following the hit, was the deep was my second touchdown, the deep ball touchdown that I actually caught in the back of the end zone. That followed. That was the very next play. So it went from the bad call, finally hit, and then we bombed him. Like and then we bombed him. And that kind of like really set the tone for everybody. It's like Clowney set the stage and then like we just capitalized off everything because after Clowney hit that hit that guy, Coach Spurry, I saw a light. It just lit up and Coach he had it in his mind already like we're taking a shot, like, right now. Like, we're taking a shot right now. Got momentum. County gave us momentum. We're taking a shot. He looked around, and he looked, and I was like, yeah, me. <laughs> he was like, you think you can beat him? And I was like, I know I can beat him. 
And it was so funny when we came out because they had been running like this cover four defense the entire game. And their safeties would come up and they were playing like around uh, seven to eight yards. And that's why when he asked, he was like, you think you can beat him? I was like, I know I can because they were playing at seven to eight. But when we broke that huddle for some reason, the safeties backed up to 12. And I was like, ah, wow. (laughs) I was like, okay, all right. So I just had to chase him down. And the play was literally like just a streak. It was supposed to just be a streak right down the hash. And it was, I think, uh, it was either me. I mean, it was either Bruce or Nick and other slot and that's all we just had streets we just ran verticals and we just told Connie just throw it just taking a shot throw it either out the back of the end zone the only way you can catch it and that's that's what he did I remember running the route and I remember the guy just like started backpedal like immediately and I was like it is no way I'm about to run past him like he's already like 20 yards you know down the field <laughs> I was like he must be feeling shot coming I was like well that makes sense big play momentum defensive coaches probably tell him that so I just remember I just turned the route into like a double move so I kind of just stuttered and once I stuttered he stopped his feet and I was like this is my only chance so once he stopped his feet I finally got a chance to close his cushion and kind of threw like the perfect pass it dropped like right in the back of the end zone and on the catch once I caught it popped up out of my hands because like I was running so fast just trying to run the ball down I was running like I was scared like I was like I'm not even gonna be able to judge this ball like you're just like in a dead out sprint no control and nothing so when it touched my hand it bounced up in the air and once it popped up I was able to see it clear so I grabbed it and my other foot was already dragging on the ground but I wasn't sure if they'd give me a give me the catch you know just based off if I had control or not so I did my best to put my other foot down and that one, I got a toe in. So once I secured the catch, I knew I was like, well, that's a touch, that's a catch. Like, I knew it was a touchdown. So once I caught it, people didn't know, like, ah, like that, that second, that other foot that I put down, I hyperextended my knee so bad. Like, it went, like, it was like the most, like, you can see it clear as day on the replay. Yeah. And then I slide into the back of the wall. It's a brick wall in the back. It was a brick wall in the back of, like, the Buck Stadium, like, where all the banners and stuff. Hey, we slide in the back. Boom, I hit my head on the wall. I hit my head on the wall. I go out for a minute. For like maybe like 10 seconds, I'm out in the back of the end zone. And I feel, I actually, I didn't even feel him. I hear Bruce. I hear Bruce in my ear. He just like, like, touchdown. You caught it. You caught that. You caught it. I was like, wait, what? I'm like, I caught it. I had the ball in my hand. I was like, <laughs> so we get up. Now we're celebrating. Like, it was, it was like really like a, a, a show me the money like type of, type of deal. So we get up, we celebrating. So they threw a flag on me. They threw, uh, we got unsportsmanlike. We got everything. Like it was just, it was going crazy at that point in time. Like that was like one of my favorite plays as well. That one right there, just the whole aftermath of that. Like just, like you said, like the theatrics of it, just the call, the hit, the touchdown, the fans, being at home, everything. It was just crazy, man. It was crazy. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to say, you got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for, you know, and you're like, I'm knocked out, man. I'm not celebrating at all. I can't get up. That's just, I'm <laughs> laying down here. I'm not trying to milk it or anything. And like, we, I'm, in. I'm we just got the un- knocked out. We got the unsportsmanlike conduct once, once I got up, once Bruce, like once I figured out everything what was going on, me and Bruce, we got up and we went crazy, like in the end zone. Like, I'm John with the dude that was covering me. Because it was number 30. He was talking the whole game. Like, that defense talked so much smack, too. 
And, like, we were beating them the whole game, and, like, we couldn't figure out, like, why are they still talking? Like, we've been, like, <laughs> like they just never stopped talking, never stopped talking. Even to the end of that game, they were still talking crap. I was like, all right. But, yeah, we got we got a good penalty, but it was all right, though. It was cool. <laughs> so, you already talked about it, Ace, but the, the sequence of events, the clowny hit in that one, I always like to get other people's perspective from it, especially, I mean, you were on the sideline, so you – you know, obviously, the, the play before the fourth down, that I mean, you guys got absolutely robbed on that. There's no way he got that first down. But uh, oh, that that play, the hit, I mean, it's a, it's a play that will never – you'll never stop seeing replays of that for as long as college football exists. Um, just yeah, talk about that. Definitely. I mean, have you ever seen a dude get decapitated the way that Michigan running back did? Man, like I tell everybody, every time they ask me about it, it's just me personally, I did not see the hit live. We were still so upset about the call that we were on the sideline still going crazy before they snapped the ball again. <laughs> so as we're on the sideline, we're talking, we're talking, we're going, we're still debating, you know, it's just a lot of commotion on the sideline. Out of nowhere, you just hear a collision. I heard it. I didn't see it. I heard it. And it was just like a car crash just, just boom. So we turned around and, like, you could hear the crowd just the ooh. So we turn around and we just I just see all the garnet going crazy. So we look up at the uh, at the jumbotron and they show the replay and that's when I was like, Oh wow, he about killed the guy. <laughs> like he about killed the guy. So uh like I that was just the craziest like even in that stadium they just kept replaying and replaying and replaying and I was like, I'm shocked that dude got up and walked away from that. <laughs> you know that that's the running joke is that like everybody says you know nobody's heard from that guy since and I mean it, I mean I don't know he might not be I don't you know I don't know where he's at now <laughs> I wonder how oh, no. about it because I mean to be on the receiving end of that I, I just I can't even fathom it to be honest with you I mean he would yeah no nah, he broke most clean he came through clean that was the <laughs> had to be the scariest sight that dude has ever seen in his life. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ace, I want to move into that ended up being your last game in Garnet and Black. You make the decision to declare, declare for the NFL draft. Um, just talk about kind of what went into your decision. Um, how close were you to maybe coming back or were you even close at all? But just talk about making that decision, maybe how tough it was for you, what you went through, and why you ultimately decided to go ahead and declare for the NFL. Uh, I just really seen an opportunity that was there. I had been battling with it for a while, actually. I actually waited all the way up until the last day to actually be able to officially declare. I had to return back to school and everything. I had went back to my, you know, my uh, apartment with my roommate and stuff. I had a discussion with Nick Jones, had a discussion with him, talked about it. And it was just, I just felt the opportunity was there you know, to go ahead and just make that leap. And um, that's just kind of like what I was always taught. Like, we got an opportunity to go and go and seize it. And that's just – that was just the ultimate decision that I came down to. I just wanted to go and play football at the highest level. Always been a dream. And that dream actually being, you know, in reach. And for me to actually touch it and feel it, I was just ready to go after it. So, talk about, you know, Ace, again, you're taking in the fourth round of the 2013 NFL Draft, 101st pick overall. Uh, but the team that drafts you is the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're, you know, one of your home teams, if you will, again, you being from the state of Florida. Just talk about the emotions you have when you get that call and then to find out that you're going to be staying in your home state. How special was that for you? I mean, that was, that was really special. Um, 
especially like it, it being like a total shock. It was a total surprise. I had not talked to Jacksonville one day. I hadn't talked to him at all. Like the entire through the entire process, I had never heard from Jacksonville. So it was just a, a complete shock. Um, I just remember being at home watching the draft uh, with my parents. I'm uh, signing some uh, rookie cards, the whole deal. And I have family in Jacksonville. So um, Jacksonville wasn't on the clock at the time. I believe it was Detroit, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And I had heard from Detroit several times. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was Detroit. It could have been somebody else on the on the uh, that was actually on the clock when they actually called because they traded up for the pick. But I didn't even see them actually trade. So when the 904 number came through my cell phone, I did not I declined the call because I'm looking at the job like nobody's supposed to be calling my phone, you know, today. <laughs> That's not, you know, a car. So it's like a 904 number. I'm thinking it's family in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So I look back up. They call again. So once they call again, I look at the phone. I'm like, Why does this number keep calling? So then I look back up at the screen and it's like Jacksonville is on the clock. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> you gotta, I was like, you got to so be So you declined the, the phone call the first time. I, decli- I, did I declined that first call. I, de- I declined that first call, and I looked up at the screen again, and I was like, oh, wow. So I answered the phone like that. I click over. I just run outside, and, I, you know, I answered the phone. And like, oh, we thought you, you know, they get on the phone. It's Davey. He's like, I thought you didn't want to play for Texas. I was like, no, nah, I had no idea. <laughs> But I was like, no, 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 I definitely want to play, you know. <laughs> it was just a crazy day. Then my parents, they all run out. They run out behind me and ask me who's on the phone. And I'm like, just look at the TV, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, nah, that day was that day was awesome. That was an awesome day. For sure. So you joined Jacksonville again, Ace. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into detail with, you know, obviously your NFL career got off to a good start. You scored your first uh, – NFL touchdown December 15th, 2013 against Buffalo. But, you know, overall, and again, not to be negative, but I want to get your take on it. You know, I think the thing that people say a lot about you is, you know, they're like, they can't believe that you weren't like an exposed, explosive return man or just a fit in someone's offense. I know you had some things that happened as far as off the field or with the NFL or whatever. But when you take a look back at your NFL career, what would you say are the things that stand out that you learned? And if there's anything, if you could go back and change anything, would you? And if so, what would they be? I would say the stuff that I do look back on, like in my career, I actually learned that I learned that you can never stop learning. You know, that was the one thing that I did take away from everything, despite everything that did happen. Uh, I know a lot of people have their, you know, their thoughts and their opinions on what they believe was going on. And the one thing that I could, that I wish I could change is that I had just really been a lot more just mentally tough in a lot of the situations that I had going on off the field, I would say. Not so much about football at all, I would say. Um, Just life in general, with stuff that life throws at you and stuff. I just wish I had been a little mentally, a little more mentally ready, a little more mentally strong, a little more mature. Um, and that that would have helped a lot because honestly, man, the play, like actually just being out there on the field and being able to compete, I never had an issue with that. Um, any of my coaches or anybody who ever uh, had opportunity to coach me, any of my teammates who ever had an opportunity to play, y'all you know they could vouch for me. That was never like really an issue, just really outside stuff, honestly. 
So if I could just change and take one thing back, that'd be it. That would definitely be it. And um, I just feel like that probably would have saved a lot of stuff, you know. Now, I'll, I'll say, Ace, the thing that really shocks me is – because, I mean, listen, guys, let's just face it. You know, pe- we're human beings. We make mistakes, get second chances, whatever. And, I mean, you're seeing it in the NFL right now. You think of uh, – what's the guy's name? Tyree Kill with the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, all the stuff going on with him, Kareem. I mean, there are just example after example after example in the NFL. But, I mean, I, the thing – try to explain this to me. The thing that shocks me the most when I look at your career is that no one else gave you a shot, or it appears they didn't. I mean, after the Jacksonville experiment went the way it did, were there teams calling you, whether it was NFL teams, was there any CFL? And if you did play after the Jags, I apologize, I didn't see it. But, I mean, what do you think the reasoning is behind another team not wanting to give you an opportunity? Or if they did give you another opportunity, why do you think it didn't work out? Uh, it was really – it was me. Uh, it's still teams, especially from the CFL, that called me to come and play today. Uh, really, I had opportunities and stuff lined up. I even did a great job. But like I said, I had to step away. I really just stepped away. Like I said, a lot of people do have, you know, like their conceptions of what happened or why I wasn't playing anymore. But in the, just the answer is it was just me. I just didn't go back. I just never went back. I never went back to try. Again, I took maybe one trip. Like as soon as I got to, uh, as soon as I got cleared, I got called out by the Jets. And I went and I tried out. Uh, but I was nowhere near in shape or in any type of shape to even be ready to play. Like, I had completely stepped away and then just thought, oh, you can just jump back in and play and kind of, like, really kind of disrespected the game. So it's like I had just stepped away for for the longest, and I just stayed away, honestly. So, Ace, obviously, you know, looking to now, you're still obviously very involved with the game of football. You know, it's funny. I wrote down here, life after football, but – I don't know if there really is after football for you because if you take a look at your Instagram or any of your social media pages, you're obviously still training guys. I, I kind of equate it similar to what Steven Garcia and Perry Orth are doing, but you're doing it with wide receivers and maybe defensive backs and really skill position players. But just kind of talk about what you've been up to since those NFL days, your training, if you've got an official like business with it or whatever, just kind of what Ace Sanders has been doing with uh, football in the state of Florida. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. You hit that right on the head. It, it's really not a life after football. It's kind of like it kind of football isn't you, but it's just like a real big part of you. have been playing for so long. Like I said, I've been a part of the sport since, you know, youth league. And people don't really look at it that long, but my career started in youth league and all the way up into the NFL. That's a long time of just being wrapped up in one thing. So it's it's almost like second nature to you. So once I came home, for, I mean, for a while, I had just tried to do – well, I was really doing other stuff I still do, but it's like the like the, the feeling of just wanting to be out on the field and really just be around the sport rather than anything else, just the pure form of the sport. Like, that just kept calling my name. So it, it started off like I was just doing stuff, like, with my family members and stuff and kind of teaching them and then just word of mouth, got going word of mouth. So then, yeah it did exactly become a training business and it is similar to what Steven and uh, Perry does. Uh, me and Steven always talk about doing some collaboration stuff. So that stuff could be coming soon. Uh, but it's just fun to be around, man. I like being with kids. I like seeing that and seeing the, um, the youth play this game, like at a level where it's kind of almost, it's, it's not tampered with yet, you know, as far as the business aspect and everything else, but it's still pretty much a game almost. You know, it's getting a little advanced now on the youth level, but it's like it's still a game at the end of the day. And it's like just something you can have fun with, something that you can just 
you know, go out on the field and if that's your escape from whatever you're doing, then that's what we out here doing. And I just like to see them get after it and go after it. Uh, I'm around a lot of high school athletes. I'm uh, I'm around just athletes in general, and I'm actually learning a lot about other sports as well. And it's, I don't know, man. It's just it's just it's fulfilling. So. So kind of off the wall question here, switching gears, Ace. I'm not going to ask you to do a Steve Spurrier impression unless you want to do it if you've got a really <laughs> good one. But when you played, who was the guy that had the best? Who could mimic Spurrier the best? Oh, man. Because I know a to lot me, of people try to do it, but there are definitely some guys I feel like that stand out as they've really got it down fat. To me, Dylan Thompson is really good, like <laughs> – in my opinion, I, I would say Dylan. Dylan Thompson does a good one. Uh, yeah, that'll be my go-to. That's my go-to. It'll be it'll be Dylan. Do, do you do you have any good Spurrier stories that you can tell in the airways? Maybe him like ripping into you at practice, or I mean, I've heard a lot of different stories and a lot a lot of different guys about uh, about Spurrier, and especially with his wide receivers because. I know he, you know, nothing compares to how hard he was in his quarterbacks, but I, I had Mo Brown on the show a couple of months ago, and he talked about as a wide receiver, the the absolute worst thing you could do was drop the football because he is going to make you feel so bad about it. Um, do you have any good Spurrier stories, maybe not coming in, in a negative light, maybe in a positive light after you did something good, but uh, what's your best Spurrier story you've got? <laughs> it would just have to be any time that we're in the film room, and Mo, Mo has a point. He definitely has a point, like dropping the ball. It's just any mistake on offense. Uh, one that I just remember, like, particularly standing out to me is uh, the LSU game. We had a route, uh, and it wasn't even actually he got on me. It was actually he got on Connor, but it was just really, like, sarcastic. Like, one of those things that was just like, oh, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we had a route uh, on, and I remember uh, it was a curl pattern. And it's like, for some reason, like the game film that we had had the perfect angle for you to see like everything open up clearly. And I remember in the game, Connor going back, like, well, we ran a curl out and Connor didn't throw, but he scrambled and he got some yards. So, but I think Coach Spurrier wanted to protect him more. So he was like, why don't you throw the ball? You know, why don't you just throw it so you won't have to run? You know, he's like, I didn't see him. I didn't see anybody open. So you go back on film and you watch it and it's like, uh, Connor's head, the angle that it looks like on the film is like he's looking right at the receiver <laughs> and he's coming like right into his vision. It's like the angle that they had was like right there. And it's like, oh, uh, did you not? Like it was one of those, like you said, you did. And so he stops and he pauses it like right at that point and he just gets quiet. So everybody's like, what are you doing? And they're like, what's going on? So he looks back at Connor and he's just like, he said you didn't see him. <laughs> so we like, oh, so now he's just like doing the whole coach, like stop, rewind, stop it, rewind, it. stop it, rewind. It. So now everybody's sitting there and he's like, and he looks like, you're just like, oh, it looks like you're looking right at him. We might have to get you some glasses and then just skips over to the next play and it's just like, but it's like so nonchalant. It's like we have so many of those episodes like in that meeting room. It's like, this is just classics where, you know, like, this is his way. This how are, way, how right? are you guys able to keep a straight face during this? Because, I mean, this sounds hilarious. I mean, maybe it's not yeah. in the moment, but this sounds hysterical. 
the guy that can't that has to keep a straight face is the guy who's getting uh is the guy who he's, who he's talking to. Everybody else can kind of laugh. Like I was, I was like real good for just like slouching down in my chair and kind of just like because <laughs> it was funny to me. I is no way that you hold a straight face like within any of that stuff. None of that stuff you can hold a straight face at all. Anytime he gets into something and it's it's nobody. We're gonna laugh. Like it's funny. It's 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 undeniably funny. So, Ace, I want to kind of switch gears to you being a punt returner, and I'm citing your latest Instagram post. You put up a video, I think it was from Pro Day, of you catching punts. But um, you're talking about tracking the ball, and you also talk about that you, you recall losing two punts in your career, and they still haunt you to this day. But I want you to talk about, first off, what does it take – take me into the mind of someone who is an elite punt returner. I mean, what goes into that? Because from what I've heard special team coaches say, you know, a lot of it is just effort, wanting to be good at that position, wanting to be good at special teams. But it's also uh, part two of that question. Take me into your mind as far as those two – because I don't remember you missing any, but take me into those two, uh, two punt returns you missed or muffed, if, if have you, and uh, do they still eat you up to this day? Uh, two that I can recall is uh, I'm gonna say we played Vanderbilt um, 2011. I think I lost one that game, and I lost one in London against the Cowboys. Mm. And uh, they definitely those are the two that I can remember, and uh, those definitely haunt me still to this day because like punt return is just something I really prided myself on because that was really the first. A uh, position that really gave me an opportunity to showcase my skills, so it's like I respected it and I loved it for that. And um, as far as what you said about uh, they say special teams is really effort. That's just that's one side of it. Um, effort is just one side of it. Just like it's, it's that's just one side of football. We need the effort. You have to want to do it and want to be good. Yes, that's one side of it because a lot of people look at special teams like it is not as important as the other aspects of the game, offense, defense. But as you can see, special teams. It can it can make or break a game. Like it can make or break a game. So um, really, in my mind, it wasn't just the effort. It was just we want to be good. We want to be the best at it. You know, we want to be the best at the stuff that we did. And it kind of changed for us. Uh, who changed it for me was uh, <laughs> I feel real bad because now I'm forgetting my coach's name <laughs> from South Carolina. My special team coach he came over from LSU my 2012 year. Oh my goodness, he was so quiet, but he he had so much knowledge and insight, and he just was the one that kind of put it in my head to just play. You know, he had coached the. I'm gonna. I feel really bad now because I, I really can't recall his name, but he he's the one that had uh the honey badge and everybody at LSU. So he introduced us to just a man on man blocking scheme and just really told us to just be better than this guy, give us effort. Uh, and really he he kind of instilled that in me to just want to be really good back there every time I called the ball it was it was supposed to be a touchdown and that's just what I believed anytime I touched it back there it was supposed to be a touchdown like our offense deserves a break <laughs> so I think 2012 I just looked it up as Joe Robinson was the special teams coordinator was that who you're talking oh, about Joe Rob Joe, Joe Rob yes sir yeah yeah so oh, I, I, I was like I, I can't let him I can't let him beat himself up over that I, I can look you this up can't, exactly thank you <laughs> Joe Rob yeah, yes I, I, gotta, I, I can see him if even, I saw him in person right now I know exactly who he right. is right even I was like God I, I kind of don't remember either Joe Rob. you know I just, and for somebody, I kept going back to Coach Beamer and I'm like no it wasn't Coach Beamer it was after Coach Beamer I remember right. Coach Beamer left 
And it was after Coach Beamer. Coach Joe Rob. He was so quiet, man. But he, he was like, he knew how to how to get a point across. He knew okay. how to get a point across. So, Ace, I'm going to get you out of here before I do. I got a simple question for you. When you look back on your Gamecocks career, your career in Garnet and Black, uh, if you had to pick one, because I know there's a lot of them for you, what would you say is your favorite memory at South Carolina? My favorite memory at South Carolina, man, it would just – it would still have to be beating Alabama. Beating Alabama, my friend. Like, being on that team my freshman year, actually being out there and actually – being a part of that game just because that game was it was that year that 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 just that entire game was just crazy because nobody expected us to come and jump out the way that we did and actually we and finish the game and actually actually really beat Alabama like it wasn't a one of those games that went down to the wire <laughs> we started off beating them and we beat them like it was like one of the games that really woke up everybody that was like what just happened? And it was like, yeah, that, <laughs> you know exactly. What just happened was the defending champions just been knocked off <laughs> ASAP, you know. So just being a part of that, that was just amazing. And just knowing how the crowd was and remembering the aftermath of the game. I remember, I think a guy got hit by a car. Somebody ran somebody over, I feel like, after that game was over. It was like a bunch of accidents. Like, their fans were hostile. Like, it was, like, violent after that game it was crazy it was crazy it was just memorable like you said the most memorable moment was that one because of everything that followed that game it was just chaos it was crazy <laughs> no no doubt that is that is certainly one of the favorite I mean we, we, we're still we're still talking about that game to this day and I, I'm sure you'll you'll be tuned in uh in September when the Gamecocks play Alabama I I think the over-under said it probably a oh, million yeah. times they show highlights from the 2010 game. So I, I Oh, no, I definitely plan on being in attendance at that game. Okay. Definitely. I wouldn't miss that game. <laughs> well, we'll have to link up, definitely. I appreciate you taking the time in. I, I will say it was a lot of fun to watch you do what you did best in Garnet and Black, and great to hear you're doing well. And uh, obviously, yeah, if you're going to be in town, we can link up uh, at the tailgate or in the stadium or whatever, but definitely would love to do it again sometime, talk some ball, and uh, – just talk some Gamecocks, man. So we'd love to have you on anytime. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I definitely go with you once I touch down there. Definitely.